Great, good evening. It's great to see you all in the room and online. And what a fantastic day we've had here at St. Dee's, uh, starting at 6am with uh, a great time of fellowship with local churches uh, as we celebrated uh, Jesus' resurrection life. And then family uh, worship this morning. There was a chicken, there was a dinosaur. It was, it was explosions. Uh, and here we are in the evening with an amazing time of worship together. It's, it's felt like a real, uh, uh, just an amazing sense of release and power. And our focus today has been on these words it's about the power of Jesus, the power living in you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And we're celebrating that power tonight in Romans 8, verses 10 and 11. In the New Living Translation, it says, As Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead... He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Now, I remember about 15 years ago, Virgin launched a credit card. Uh, and the way they sold this credit card to you was by uh, this incredible advert with, with a guy who's now on death in paradise, uh, if you remember him. Uh, he was much younger then. And, and he went around uh, to various shops and was given the option to say yes you know, the question was, you know, would you like to say yes? And as soon as he got a Virgin credit card, he had the opportunity to say yes. And, and there was all sorts of things that he wanted but was kind of nervous about saying yes to, but then suddenly had the power to say yes to, you know, everything positive. So let's frame it that way. There were good things to say yes to and suddenly had the capacity to say yes and actually he was compelled to say yes. And I was thinking actually about how our lives are so often diminished by our inability to say yes to good things. Now, I spent a number of years before, um, well, before I entered into my first profession uh, as an outdoor instructor. And um, I love the joys of kind of outdoor activity, sailing and windsurfing and you know, jumping off rocks into the sea. And I got this sort of great buzz. But, but it was amazing how many people I coached or taught in groups who would be absolutely terrified about saying yes to some incredibly fun things. And sometimes, you know, there would be a great cliff drop to jump off of, and, and you'd be in the water, waving up at them, saying, it's so fun, you've got to jump. And they'd be looking absolutely terrified, going, there's no way I'm going to jump. And, and sometimes you'd spend a whole day doing activities, and then this one child or young person, you really wanted to do this activity, in the last five minutes, would finally, you'd see legs shaking, leap off the rocks, scream, land in the water, and then just be filled with exuberant joy. And be like, oh, I've got to do that again. You'd be like, I'm really sorry, but we've run out of time. You know, well done for saying yes, but you know, you held back for so long. And I want to ask you tonight, what's been holding you back from saying yes? You know, the fact is that we've had this year of having to say no. I'm sure we, we, we're going to go through this script over and over again. But, you know, we've had to say no. No, I can't. No, I'm sorry, the rules don't permit me to. Or no, I'm not allowed. But even now the doors are open, some of us are still saying, oh, no, I, no, I don't think I can. You know, our ability to say yes has been diminished, not just by rules and regulations, but also by our, our lack of practice in saying yes and the resurrection of Jesus is all about saying yes to life. I think this Easter as a global community, we're more awakened to our mortality than we've 
ever been, certainly within the last 75 years. And as we approach the sealed tomb, we've got far less dispassionate objectivity to death and far more personal connection. And, And that makes us far more timid in our ability to embrace life. But I believe prophetically the Lord has called us as a church and as individual Christians to say yes to life post-pandemic, to actually model what it's like to live without fear. In um, 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline, sometimes uh, translated sound mind. Not, not a reflect on mental health, but just the confidence that comes from saying, yes, I can do this. I'm not afraid anymore. And the Christian community in the first century wasn't a community of fear. It was a community of faith. It was a community that knew much about death. Christians were being persecuted and, and thrown to the lions and, and used to light up Diocletian's garden. But they weren't living in fear, they were living in faith. As someone has an anxiety disorder, I have to school myself in this all the time to decide to live fully and freely in light of the resurrection life of Jesus. Cultural anthropologist Ernest Baker noted that our capacity to reflect on ourselves poses a problem for human beings. The awareness of the existence of the self signifies that it will one day cease to exist. That's quite clever psychobabble for saying, you know, when we're aware of ourselves, we're aware that we'll die, and that makes us afraid. Now, we might die tomorrow, or we might die in 50 years or or 70 years, but the fact that we're going to die fills us with terror. And psychologists have classified our understanding of our mortality with a special term they call TMT, or terror management theory. The idea is that we all have TMT. We all undertake TMT, terror management theory, as a way of modulating or moderating our experience of the fear of death. Now, over the last year, maybe we've all in our own way seen terror management worked out in our own families and in our own lives. I remember, you know, a year ago from now, just more than a year ago from now, being in the supermarket with rubber gloves on and, you know, my mask and, and, and gingerly walking around like the virus was lurking and about to jump on me. I know, and, and kind of taking my kind of cereal off the shelf carefully as if by being careful with my cereal I might not catch the virus. And, and, and helping my parents-in-law deal with their anxieties and, and my children and, and my wife and, and me probably being the most terrified of all. You know, doing whatever I could to, to manage my terror. The weird thing about TMT is it's, it's not something that's specific to people in a pandemic. It's specific to every person, whether in a pandemic or not. Because the reality of our mortality makes us afraid to say yes, to actually live full lives. And in my work in mental health, I guess probably the, sad, the most uh, difficult and one of the most heart-wrenchingly sad circumstances that I've come across are not people with what are called serious and enduring disorders that you might have heard about in the news, like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, but a disorder which is called agoraphobia. And this disorder leaves people afraid to live 
And so the world in which they can live gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Wonderful, lovely people, gifted people, people with a lot to give to the world and give to others are so terrified of life that they lock themselves ultimately into their own homes and to have to live in separation because the fear of living is so great because ultimately the fear of dying is greater. When terror management theory leads you to hide away from life, there has to be a solution. There has to be a resolution to live in a different way. Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said, an immediate hope exists in every person. Every person, Christian or not, feels hope. It may be more powerfully alive in one person than it is in another, but in death, every hope of this kind dies and turns to hopelessness. It's not a great quote, don't worry, it's not the end of the same quote. But you know, the reality is that we struggle to say yes if we're terrified of what's looming in our futures. Now, what is this great challenge we face? What is this dark world ahead of us? What is this, you know, this pestilence that stalks in the shadows? Like, how can we truly and fully live? You know, no matter the advancement of human science or understanding, there's been no progress over our fear of death. Don't you find that remarkable? There's been absolutely no progress over our fear of death as long as we've been alive. In fact, you could say that we're more afraid of death today than we have at any other time in human history. Yet we have more remedy and more protection from disease and disaster than we've ever had by a country mile across all millennia. We've never been safer and yet we've never been more afraid. Don't you find that remarkable? That there is no psychological, physiological or biological remedy to the reality of our terror around death and our terror management activities. The internet's awash with pithy slogans, many of them actually Roman in origin, which I find quite fascinating in itself. And they encourage us not to fear death, but to fear the inadequate life. They say things like, don't fear death, fear living an inadequate life. It's a, it's a really pithy slogan. It's great, fantastic. I'd love, I'd love to be able to live by it. Unfortunately, I can't. You see, no matter the amount of time we try and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and go, no, I'm going to be really courageous, something in the corner of our mind always says, well, we'll be really careful, others we might die. Now, I work with people with anxiety disorders as well, and we, we have a little game where we try and find out how many steps it will take us to get to death. I've got a headache. I've got a brain tumor, I'm going to die. That is pretty much the journey. We can pretty much cut it down to two, but normally there are three steps to death. And we play this game over and over again to find out how many ways we can get to death the most expediently, the most quickly. And, and then the kind of the greater the anxiety sufferer, the kind of the greater their ability to get to death between zero to, to death. It's, you know, it's a pretty swift step, if I'm honest. I can get there pretty quickly. Can you? How is this going to impact the way we live for Christ today? There's all this matristic bravado of Publius Cyrus and Marcus Aurelius. And at the same time, a young Galilean was going to the cross. The same time that these matristic Romans were telling us to not fear death, but you know, live a great life. A young Galilean was being nailed to a cross for our sake. And even though he had the power to come down from that cross, even though he had the power over death at his disposal, he chose to submit himself to death for our sake. That's courage. 
And through the death of that young Galilean, who, choose, who chose instead to, to submit himself to death, we have tonight the opportunity to transform our experience of terror management theory once and for all. You know, we have the remedy in the history of the whole world, in the anthropology of humankind, there's never ever been a more significant moment for humans than the moment at which that tomb burst forth and Jesus was resurrected from the dead. It's the hinge on which all of human history hangs. It's the remarkable moment from which Christians were able to live without fear of the future and, and make that offering to the world around them. There's nothing more transformational than a person than the ability to say yes to life because they do not fear death. Now, this is our experience in Christ tonight. In Matthew 28, verse 5, the angel says to the woman who'd come to attend the body in the tomb, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. You know, I want to say just before we finish, three things about that fear. Because it strikes me, here are these women. These are the really brave people of the crucifixion. A lot of the disciples, all these blokes, filled with terror management theory, they've run away because they're terrified of the Romans, they're terrified of what will happen to Jesus, and they are out of the picture. But these women have decided that actually they're quite happy to stand up for the fact that they knew Jesus and they're going to attend to Jesus' body. And God chose in his great wisdom to reveal the hinge of human history to women who had no political voice or you know, no social credibility in that period. And God said, you're the people who are going to bring that message. And they came forward, but these women who'd stood by and watched Jesus be crucified aren't the sort of women or men who would be terrified. They were courageous. And yet the first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid. And so we assume firstly that they're fearful of the presence of the angel. Think about it for a minute. You've just watched Jesus be crucified, scourged, and hung on a tree. You know, it doesn't get much worse than that. Are you really going to be terrified by the presence of an angel? I think it would be a pretty nice distraction from all the difficulty of the previous few days, if I'm honest. In the scheme of things, it's actually the, the least likely fear. Oh my goodness, an angel, I'm so terrified. Aren't angels supposed to be bringers of peace and joy? And Isn't it a good sign in the darkness? The second fear was that the fear that the women may have felt on arrival, that the tomb was now empty so the body is now missing which is more likely why was the angel saying do not be afraid well he's saying don't be afraid you know I know the tomb is empty but but it's empty because he's risen not because the body's been stolen that's much more likely in terms of the reason that the angel's first words to the women was do, do not be afraid but I think the third and the most unobvious obvious fear is that he hadn't risen I think that the angel was saying, don't be afraid. He's risen just as he said he would. If you look at the text more carefully, there's this clause in the middle, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. But if you take that fact away, you see instead the angel says, don't be afraid. He's not here. 
He's risen just as he said he was. I think those early women, those early believers had come to the tomb to check that Jesus had risen from the dead just as he said he was. I think they were afraid of seeing an angel. I don't think they were afraid that, you know, he, he was in a situation, it wasn't anything other than the fear that actually death hadn't lost its sting. And when the angel says, don't be afraid, he's risen just as he said he was, you know, they run, they're filled with joy because life has been transformed. These women were fierce, faith-filled, and faithful. They weren't afraid of being associated with Jesus in his life, in his death, or in his resurrection. Eugene Peterson describes this as the bridge from life to death to life. Until that moment, it had just been a bridge to death, where all our terror had lain. But now, through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, it was a bridge to life, to death, to life. To complete Kierkegaard's earlier quote, it says, into this night of hopelessness comes the life-giving spirit that brings hope, the hope of eternity, the hope that transforms our experience of terror and fear. Paul writes in Hebrews 10, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a brand and new living way, opened up to us through the curtain, that is his body, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and the full assurance that faith brings. There are undoubtedly people who are better at managing the terror of death than others. Some people are kind of appear to be less bothered, some people appear to be more bothered, but the key thing is that they're bothered. The key thing about terror management theory is that ultimately we all have to manage the terror. Apart from because Jesus died and rose again, we don't just need to anymore. We don't need to face that reality of death anymore because even though, as Paul says, we might die in the body, we will rise again in the spirit. Actually, we've got a hope that is the hope of the world. It's a hope that sets itself aside from every other fear. It's a hope that gives joy and comfort to every Christian person, regardless of the difficult nature of their circumstances. Romans 6, 9 says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And tonight, I just want to reassure you that because of the resurrection of Jesus, death does not have mastery over your life anymore. You have got the opportunity to say yes to life because you don't have to say yes to death. You can say yes to Jesus because Jesus said yes to death on your behalf. And as a result, you can truly embrace life. You can live it to all its great fullness for his glory. I want to say this in closing, that I believe that God has entrusted to us an even greater responsibility to live life in all its fullness in a world which is cowed into fear at this time. We want to demonstrate what it looks like to live with the confidence of knowing that we don't have to manage the terror of death anymore because Christ managed it on our behalf. And I'd love to invite you to press into the life of the body of the church in the coming months and those of you who are also joining us online. You know, let's not miss this opportunity to celebrate the assurance we have that Jesus died and Jesus rose again from death and that we don't have to manage the terror, but we can live with confidence and say yes to the things of the Lord for our lives and for our church life in this season of difficulty and struggle. Let's pray as we hand back to Matt and the worship band. 
Maybe you want to just stand and open your hands as a sign of your openness to the Spirit of God. Jesus, we acknowledge that we have been terrified to live because we're terrified to die. But tonight on this Easter Eve, we want to give you thanks that you laid down your life. You gave your life for our sake. That we don't need to manage terror, but we can live with the full assurance that we're sons and daughters of the living God. And as you rose, Jesus, we too shall rise. And so we pray right now that you'd fill us with that same spirit, that spirit of power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that is in each and every one of us tonight who've received Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. So come Holy Spirit, move amongst us. Lift off us the shades of Sheol, the cloak of death, and fill us tonight instead with a blessed assurance of our hope eternal. Fill us with confidence to say yes to your call over our lives and over our church in Jesus' name. Amen.